and welcome to another episode of Radio Zaddy, uh, your home for some queer education because we were deprived it at school. I'm Hannah Bestwick and I'm here as always with... Daisy Thurston Gent. Daisy Thurston Gent, how have you been? I've been very good, thank you. It's yeah, been such a long time. We've been on a hiatus. We've had a wee hiatus, yes. Indeed, for various personal reasons, but we're back. And Back better than yeah, better than ever. Um, <laughs> and I've been thinking, I've been thinking, Daisy, about our last episode. I've been thinking it over and over in my head, and I keep uh, wanting to come back to it because mm. the lesbian pirates episode is the last one I did. And pirates in video games and stories and movies, for whatever reason, feel very queer coded. Mm-hmm. Not not the men; they're just a bit like macho. But women pirates always are, and particularly for me, I had a real awakening when I saw um, Keira Knightley as Pirate <laughs> Queen on Pirates of the Caribbean and she's like it just looks so fucking cool in that long coat and that tricorn hat yep. just amazing an amazing time and then also Penelope Cruz when oh, she's Penelope a Cruz. sexy lady pirate <sighs> Penelope Cruz yeah yeah um, yeah, can steal my heart and put it sink it to the bottom of the ocean exactly forever, put it in a chest in Davy Jones locker she whatever wants. happens I'm there for it yeah, whatever she wants to do with my heart. Exactly. What have you been up to recently? Is that just is that just a a, a little? That was just that was, was just. I just wanted to be like. Oh, I thought the whole I, episode was going to be Penelope Cruz. I was getting. No, no, so sorry. No, I just needed to come well, back to it because I, I like left out the whole kind of. <sighs> well, yes. That why is the a, lesbian pirates? That is a queer spoke awakening. To me yeah, no, that's an awakening. You're right. Obviously, lesbian pirates in general, amazing. <laughs> Asterisks on the lesbian bisexual but yeah i just wanted to come back to it because i just i just missed it out because i was so excited to get started on the story i can't yeah i can't believe you missed that out um obviously i'm devastated now knowing that the whole episode is not gonna be about keira knightley and uh penelope cruz but hey we live and learn and um i'm sure whatever you have is gonna be just as good uh whatever you have for me um how are you doing yeah i'm okay it's yeah. been a whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, research assistant Jack has been helping me out with this episode uh, specifically. Because we profess. We're so profesh. Outsourcing. And the episode today, what I'm going to be talking to you about is gay jeans. Not jeans like the ones you wear, but like the ones inside. <gasps> yeah, jeans for jeans. Jeans yeah, for yeah. jeans. Did you, ever, did you ever learn about gay jeans? Um, I've heard it mentioned. I've heard it kind of battered around like a, like a bit of a ping pong ball uh, in the community. But yeah. I don't know about it. Tell me. It's Yeah, it's an interesting... It's like... The idea of like a gay gene is, I think it's it's a two-sided coin. Mm. Most coins are two-sided. It's something that on the one hand kind of feels like, hey, that's amazing. It explains so much how it's not a choice, whatever. But then you know, equally, it feels a little bit sus that people are looking for specifically for a genetic yeah. basis for homosexuality. And it is, you know, what, the, what they end up uh, researching is like the gay gene. It's not like a queer gene, mm. specifically homosexuality. Yeah. And I was like a real nerd when I was younger. And I used to get a Focus magazine, which is a, a BBC magazine aimed at like a 16 to 18 year olds about science. Uh, it was really great. And they had one one particular edition on the gay gene. Mm. And I was like really? 17 reading this. Yeah. And I was like, this is very intense. And it had imaging, like MRI imaging. MRI? I don't know, some kind of imaging of brains mm. that sort of showed, quote, how the brains of lesbians were more similar to those of straight men than of straight women uh-huh. and how the brains of gay men were more similar to those of straight women than uh, straight men and again that's like how big is this sample it feels, yeah, it feels quite reductive right <laughs> yeah. and there were some other things about like hormone makeup and stuff like that and it was it was quite that would have been like 2008 
2008. Yep. Yeah. 2008 if I was 17. And so that actually feels quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, especially for genetics. The human genome wasn't sequenced until 2003 properly. And so, you know, we were still fairly new in understanding genetics. So this was, I don't know. When I was reading it, I was I, I did on the one hand think this is great. Mm. But also I was like, this is... This feels very reductive. Yeah. Saying yeah, yeah. that, oh, gay women are just straight men in a woman's body. Like, it seemed very... Anyway. Yeah. You know, so that's... Yeah, it's very over, overly simplified, isn't it? Yeah, very overly simplified. And that kind of research is largely not regarded as sort of proving anything in particular. Yeah, it doesn't explain bears, does it? <laughs> it just doesn't. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, they have to do... The, they, have to, they do the research because they have a question and they want to know if, if there's an answer. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of the time, these questions are being asked by non-queer people. And so um, it can sometimes seem quite offensive the way that they are carried out. Yeah. But yeah, there's a curious amount of interest in what makes people gay. And I, like, I have a particular issue in this uh, with this because it categorises gayness as being outside of the norm, like a divergence from what is, quote, normal. Mm, diagnosis. The normal order. Yeah. yeah. And so what you tend to research is particular examples of outliers, right? What makes an outlier an outlier? And it makes being gay seemed to be like the subject of a lot of research because it's abnormal mm, right and that's yeah. what it feels like we're being looked at under the microscope and it's oh feels a bit weird yeah but there's something to be said for the uh, fact that a smaller percentage of the population identify as gay than not gay right and so in a sense it does appear to be different from the norm and i'm and that is like in the sense of numbers Mm. so in that sense like you can say there's like an argument for saying like it would be interesting to research but a lot of the time it's kind of the way it feels like it's been framed in the past is that not just because it's a subset of the population it's because they're research they're researching it because it's abnormal and that's Mm. the framing that's that's important there that being said Research into gayness does continue regardless of like whether or not it's being done politically correctly or whatever. Like it just carries on. Um, people are interested. Yeah, people are very interested. And in the past, that's particularly looked like twin studies. Scientists love twins. Okay, so <laughs> you have the thing is you have identical twins, yeah, which are from the same egg and sperm, and they have exactly the same genetics, or at least. They have potentially exactly the same genetics. Some environmental factors will make minute, tiny mm. changes that can mostly be, be disregarded. And you have non-identical twins that are two separate eggs and sperm. And that, so they have different genetics, right? Mm. And these quite a lot of these uh, studies recruited their gay subjects, I want to say. No, the gay participants from, quote, homophile publications, which I thought was a great publishing house, but it just turns out that's a really old slang for gay glossies. So a gay <laughs> magazine, um, homophile publications. Oh my goodness. But I think if we ever make a publishing house, we should call it homophile publications. Yeah big doors yeah swing through <laughs> so i'll give you a little like breakdown of the kind of things that they used to look at before they had like a full genome yeah in 1991 there was a study that found that 52 percent of identical male twins shared a sexuality so if they were either both gay or both straight with non-identical twins it was only 22 percent so okay. it's actually more than double okay the identical twins 
were if one of them was gay, uh, they Very were much high. more likely to be also gay. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. If they were identical. In two thousand, there was a study looking at four thousand nine hundred and one twin pairs, and that found differently. I can't believe there are that many twins. Amazing. <laughs> there's so many of them, honestly. Um, but that only found that there was twenty percent concordance, uh, i.e., the same sexuality and identical male twins, not the fifty-two percent that the two thousand that the nineteen ninety-one study found, and twenty-four percent. In female twins, hmm. identical twins. In 2008, there was a study looking at all of the Swedish twins, literally all of them, okay? Because they... <laughs> it, was an, it was non-negotiable. It was, it was like non- not an opt-out situation. Yeah, it found them all. Well, like the whole of Sweden has a population of less than London. Okay. So they just, you know, they know where they all are, <laughs> my guess. Um, and this 2008 study suggested that same-sex attraction could, could be explained by both her- her- heritable and non-heritable factors. So they were looking at sort of the twin study again, if you were more likely to also have the same sexuality as your identical twin or non-identical twin. But they believed there was also quite little environmental factor being involved, Mm. but parenting and culture could be part of it, but not very influential. So they decided it was mostly genes, right? Mm. What else did they look at? Uh, In 1997, um, they were looking at what, like birth order. Okay. Okay, so there was a study that showed that each additional older brother that you have, if you're mm-hmm. a, a male child, each additional older brother you have increases the chances of you being gay by 33%. What? Yeah, that's quite interesting. But then I was like I was re- like looking through this research and I was like does that just mean that if you if you have a room with some men in it and you keep adding a man, <laughs> eventually one of them will be gay? But it's not that. Is because it, that would make eventually sense. Eventually, it turns into the continental baths, and they and then they're just like, well, if they're, if they're all just men, <laughs> right? It so what it is is really interesting. So it's um my initial thought was incorrect. It's because uh, <laughs> I'm dumb. We can be wrong. It's we okay. can be look. We are wrong sometimes. Willing to be wrong, in fact. A lot sometimes. Happy to be wrong. Happy many times. Okay, so there's this theory. This theory is about how. The male fetus produces something called an HY uh, antigen, Mm. okay? An antigen is a protein on the outside of a cell, and that's involved in the differentiation of the sexuality of vertebrates, okay? We're vertebrates. Mm -hmm. We have uh, vertebrae, a backbone. Um, And these Y-linked proteins um, wouldn't be recognised by the mother because she doesn't have a Y chromosome, uh, usually. If you're interested in more variations on chromosomes, go and listen to our intersex episode. But so because she doesn't have a Y, she wouldn't recognise this Y antigen and so would make an antibody for it. Okay. That's your immune system being like, who are you? Get the fuck out. What's this? Yeah. So the antibody that the mother produces would attack the brain structures related to masculinity in the fetus. Okay. And so each successive male that she uh, has in her womb will have their own antigens. Mm. And so the mother will produce more antibodies, increasing how much it attacks the baby's brain, uh, the fetus's brain as it's developing. And thus, quote, attacking the, quote, masculine structures, which they think perhaps could lead to more likelihood of the fetus growing up to be a homosexual adult. Quite interesting, Mm. I thought. Okay, so they also thought, hey, maybe there's something about gay men and maybe their female siblings are more fertile because of gay men and maybe something about sex and and hormones. Yeah, and that's kind of something that has to be explored, I suppose. But to me, that again, that sounds like a bit of a, a reductive look at, like, if there's... I don't know. I suppose it is, it is interesting, like, looking at the byproducts of trying to maximise your fertility in uh, one sex. Does that have a, like, opposite effect in... 
the other sex because sometimes that does happen in developmental oh population genetics but basically if you change something in the dynamics of a population usually there's an opposite change that is kind of adverse in some way yeah. or just balances it out it's why you end up with like prey and predator populations they fluctuate around each other mm-hmm. like if there's not so enough... you find one with with the other yeah. yeah. So um, one example they often show you is like if a population of foxes are hunting rabbits too intensely, the rabbit population plummets and then the foxes don't have anything to eat. Mm. So they plummet and then there's nothing eating the rabbits. So the so rabbit population increases yeah. and it goes like this. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And it's a similar thing within a population as well. With the female fertility. Right. OK. So it's a, there was a 2004 study uh, looking at 4,600 um, people who had a total of 98 homosexual relatives and 100 heterosexual relatives. Not that there were only 100 heterosexual people, but they had like identified individuals on the family trees in the same places, 98 having homosexual people in those places and 100 having homosexual people in those places. The females with relatives who were homosexual tended to have more children than the relatives of uh, the heterosexual men in those positions okay so that's like uncles cousins things like that but people who women whose homosexual relatives were on their father's side didn't have as many children as those who had the homosexual male on their mother's side okay so if you have gay uncles on your mum's side you're much more likely to have higher fertility than if they're on your father's side okay and they think that those are associated Mm -hmm. It's, again, something that looks like correlation, might not be causation. Yeah, yeah. You know, those are two different things. Just because they seem to happen at the same... Yeah, if they seem to be linked, it doesn't mean that one is causing the other. It could be a whole other thing that is causing both effects. So, yeah, it's it, that does seem to imply that it's something linked to the maternal lineage. Yeah, right? okay. On your mum's side. Um, so that's, like, stuff that's not specifically exploring the genetics. But there has been you know, quite a lot of genetic research, especially a lot of very early research that didn't really, you know, hasn't really kicked off or like just someone's got to do the starter research, right? And since the 1980s, there's been this interest in this gene called the XQ28 and it's found on the tip of the X chromosome. So if you remember in your 23rd pair of chromosomes is is usually either XX or XY. Mm -hmm. So the X is always associated with your mum because you can't get a Y from your mum. You can only get that from your dad unless um, you're intersex. Please see our intersex episode. So XQ28 is about 8 megabase pairs of information. That's like 8 million letters. Okay. And I was like, I was trying to, I was trying desperately, I really wanted to find out like how long that is. Because you know, they say like, oh, if you stretch out all your genetic information, it would reach to the moon yeah, and back. Yeah. And so I was like, well, how big is that? But no one would tell me how big that is. So what I did, Damn very, uh, I did a very scientific thing where I went on Word and I typed out like A, T, C, G, which are the main base pairs. And um, in size eight, standard margins, all caps. And I filled the page and I managed to get 6,666 letters on the page. Cue the Exorcist theme tune. <laughs> and so eight million letters would be 1,200 pages full of those letters. Don't know if that helps. It's very big. 1,200 pages. Whoa. I digress. 
1993, a study looked at more than 100, uh, sorry, looked at 114 families of gay men and found higher rates of gay men having gay uncles and cousins on the maternal side, suggesting the maternal link again. And it found the rate of the markers on XQ28 region were higher, uh, there was a higher association and similarity between the gay brothers, uh, sorry, between gay brothers, suggesting some influence on homosexuality, possibly on the maternal lineage of that X chromosome. Now, Bro- Brothers, not twins. Brothers, not twins. Okay. In 1995, a study corroborated these findings and additionally found less uh, sharing of the in the region of XQ28 between straight brothers compared to gay brothers. Mm. Um, and there was no link between XQ28 and gay women. It's interesting. So it seems like it just it just doesn't affect. An interesting note is that because women have two X chromosomes, your body uses the gene on one or the other of those X chromosomes. Mm. So if you get one from your mum, it might have some additional um it could have like the gay gene in xq28 but you also have one from your dad that might not Mm. and then you might not end up using that one that has the gay gene right that would be really interesting anyway in 1998 a study looking at 54 pairs of gay brothers found links with the xq28 and in 1999 a canadian study looked at 52 pairs of gay brothers and found nothing (laughs) and decided there wasn't anything gay about xq28 (laughs) Um, but you know the study included uh this uh, did have some criticism saying that the study um hadn't chosen gay brothers with maternal gay relatives Mm. so they were just like isolated and this is all like very much based on like yeah cis cisgendered cisgendered Um, gay men it would be interesting to yeah obviously to do it in this year um, you would have to obviously. well Daisy um, you'll yeah. be looking forward to the I next won't, I section I won't jump ahead uh, a meta-analysis of all these studies so meta-analysis is where you get all of the studies I've just mentioned yep. compare all the results see if there's anything like actually there or if there was too much variation in the way they were doing it that actually you can't really say that they did the same study or compared the same things mm. but that meta-analysis seemed to conclude that XQ28 does have significant but not an excessive role in male homosexuality and in 2012 a large study of 409 pairs of gay brothers again supported XQ28's role in male homosexual orientation okay so, so it looks right yeah so looks... little little pepperings of evidence of little pepperings little little <laughs> suggestions that there might be a gay gene quite convincing stuff right well, <laughs> this brings me to a 2019 study, the largest and arguably the most comprehensive study yes. into the potential gay genetics to date. Thank you. You're okay, welcome. This, I'm here for. this study is by Ghana et al. It was published in Nature and it looked at 477,000 500 genomes incredible numbers more than 100 times bigger than any previous study and it disagrees with everything i've just told you about gay genes excellent yes here we go i'm sorry and you need to just wipe that from your brain i told you it because of its interesting history on how people have been desperately trying to work out what's going on but this massive study suggest that that is good because it was making a lot of assumptions about gender and what's inside and (laughs) yeah it made so many assumptions and most of them like were in the early 2000s and the 1990s when sexuality was still and i mean it is still now but like it was so much more of a taboo and it was so much less understood and also so much less respected Mm. right um so you can imagine that they were just like you, gay man, homosexual, come here and be in my study. And, like, without even sort of thinking to engage in the nuances of that person's life. Yeah, making, like, yeah, making an assumption that you can have, yeah, the mother, quote, would, you know, would have those, yeah, XX chromosomes yeah. as well. 
And so this study uses uh, used genomes from Biobank and 23andMe, which is, if you don't know, I don't know what Biobank is, but uh, I should have looked that up. Um, but 23andMe is like a, it's quite a popular genetic family history and lineage organisation where you just spit in a tube, send it off, and they can give you reports on like your uh, makeup, including like where your family are from generations back, or like if you've got any like high risk of genetic disorders, things like that. They can tell you loads of information, but you are giving your genome to them, right? You're giving them a lot of information. But equally, like one of these, one of these genetic, like a kind of, I guess it's like a popular genetics thing yeah. was used recently to catch a serial killer that had gone uncaptured for like decades because they found somebody had like a a, a familial match oh really? and they found out like yeah they got this familial match and then they went to find that person and then like matched it up to their uncle or something like that and like solved this incredibly incredibly important case so it's interesting yeah it's like yeah. good and you are giving your data away but like yeah if you've got a serial killer in the family spit in a tube yeah you know anyway so uh, it was primarily well, it's interesting to note that it was primarily European people from uh, between the ages of 40 and 70 and 26,800 people identified as having had sex with someone of the same sex. Okay, so they weren't saying, are you gay, are you bi? So it's just more to do with the homosexual behaviour rather than like mm, identifying specifically as homosexual. And that's, I think that's really important. And that works out at about, that works out at about 5%, which is in line with the kind of general population reporting, self-reporting as having had homosexual experiences. Now, here's the thing about gender as well. They did drop people whose gender identity and assigned gender do not match. Okay, so that's trans people and intersex people were dropped from the study because they added an, it adds an additional level of complexity that would need to be accounted for with extra layers of calculations and they wanted to be able to do it as clear-cut as possible and for that reason they made the decision to drop trans and intersex people. Okay, so it's, it's cis people only. So it's more to sort of disprove uh, the, previous, yeah. um, the previous research that was focused yeah, focus yeah. on cis people. Yeah, so that makes it more of an LGB study rather than LGBTQIA+. And to ensure the results were not misrepresented, like, I really encourage you to go and have a look at the... There's a Nature article about it where they... It's like a, a summary article for people like you and me to read. And they worked with LGBTQ advocacy groups, science communication specialists, because they wanted to convey their findings of the research to the public in a way that was respectful and, you know, be clear on their limitations, mm. you know, using sensitive, jargon-free language. And they have a website, genetic, uh, which is geneticsexbehaviour.info. They've got loads of stuff on there. It's a really good, well-put-together website where they've just tried to be as straightforward, as clear, and as honest and, and respectful as they can about the research that they did. Now, they compared the genomes using something called genome-wide association, um, looking at single nucleotide polymorphisms. Jargon, right? What's that? What that just means is, like, you know that 1,200 pages of letters that I mentioned if one of those is different that's a singular that's a singular change okay Okay. of a nucleotide you don't really need to know what that is but it's important because they looked at everyone's genes in the study and they split them into two groups those who've had sex with someone of the same sex those who have not quite clear cut right and the interesting information is they found they found like quite a lot of interesting things about it um but the kind of headlines are that there were five common nucleotide changes those single letter changes Mm. that we mentioned and they were found to be associated with same-sex behavior but these five percent sorry these five changes only accounted for one percent of the variation okay okay so 99 percent of the variation in sex behavior doesn't seem to be 
to do with not linked. these five common changes. Okay. Okay. So two of those genes were related to gay men. Uh, one of which is also associated with sense of smell and male pattern board boldness, which suggests a kind of hom- uh, hormonal influence into sexuality. Mm. One of those genes was associated with um, homosexuality in women, and two others showed solid patterns in both men and women. Uh, so clearly associated with homosexuality for both. Now, they, like I said, it was only 1%, which is a minor contribution, meaning something else is influencing it. You can't just say it's genes. It's not just genes. So what they're saying is that sexual preference has a genetic component, but no single one of those things that I mentioned can be a predictor of homosexuality. You can't say... Not influence. Yeah, you can't look at someone's genes and be like, they will be gay. Mm. Right? That's just not how that works. The rest of the influence comes from other factors, such as environmental factors and culture. And that's important because it's, it is really enlightening to find that there's a genetic basis for homosexuality or like even in some way, because it's so much the message that you don't have a choice. Mm. If you're gay, if you're queer, it's not a choice, right? It's, it feels like to all of us, like, well, it feels like too many of us that we don't have a choice and that it is innate, okay? And innate traits like that have this, uh, come with this sense of, of it being in our genes, yeah. okay? But there's a bit of a, a risk with that, of it being genetic, because, you know, there's the designer babies. I just, there's such fear of people screening for genes and mm. being like... Um, designer babies, as in you, you want to... You want yeah, to have you not twink. heard of designer babies? It's like when people, you can screen fetuses, for mm. genetic disorders and some people abort if it's going to be a horrible life for that child mm. okay and then there's this idea i'm actually not entirely sure how often it's practiced that you can screen your baby for traits that you want it to have like hair color eye color let's say and would people screen mm. a baby for if it's gay if it's likely to be gay and so, you know, the idea of having a gay gene that they could screen for and be like, I don't want a gay child or I want to have a gay son because that'll be so great. You know, yeah, that's, that's a really f- scary idea. Yeah. And then there's also like you know, dystopian nightmares of in places where it's illegal to be gay, people screening your genetics to see if you've got the gay gene yeah, and yeah, yeah. exterminating us. And, and, you know, that that could be terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. And so having this study to support the fact that it's not just genetics mm. kind of alleviate some of the fear of yeah, that. Yeah. But equally, if there was no genetic component, then that might encourage people who push for conversion therapy. If there's no genetics, then it's all environmental, meaning that you become gay because of how you were raised or what you were exposed to when you were younger. And I don't know if, it, like, maybe you don't know what conversion therapy is, but it's a process by which a queer person may be put into a, like, a camp or a regime or into a, a treatment where they're beaten, tortured and assaulted, brainwashed into abandoning their queer identity to be cis or straight. And it doesn't work. And it can't work because it's an impossible... It's an impossible notion that you can change someone's... It's not not even banned in the UK. Yeah. And it's, you know... There was a thing on the internet uh, that was reading on the BBC that said, it will be after a public consultation. Like, what is there to consult about conversion therapy? Just ban it. Just ban it. It's not a conversation. Yeah. It's torture. And it is awful. And, like, if the results had come out and said, like, oh, it's completely environmental, like, it's just how you were raised, that would be a travesty because it would validate the idea that you can change someone back. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
It's just not a fact. It's not a fact. And actually, um, I was reading on Stonewall uh, in the UK, all major counselling and psychotherapy bodies, as well as the NHS, have concluded that conversion therapy is dangerous and have condemned it by signing a memorandum of understanding. And they're trying to push the government to ban it faster because there's been delays and it is awful. It's absolutely wild to me that it's taking so long. Mm. For something that, you know, is a huge violation of human rights. It is. In every sense. And so why? Why does it need a consultation? If it's a violation of human rights, it doesn't... You shouldn't be doing it by consultation because, like, what are you going to do? Make sure you find people who half half of them believe in conversion and half don't and let them have an equal say because it's not an equal conversation. People who want to violate human rights shouldn't have the same footing as those who want to protect human rights. Like the same platform, it's not. Mm. It's not okay. And to to suggest that it is just environmental and cultural is is a harmful thing. It's very dangerous. Yeah. But yeah, the fact is, this is a massive study, and it shows that it is both genetic and environmental factors um, that contribute to who we are. And I, I think it's quite important to uh, compare it to something else about a person that is both. It's a polygenetic trait, which means multiple genes involved, and it also has environmental factors. Something else that is that is your height. Okay, so your height is ultimately determined by your genes yep. and your environment, what you eat. Yeah, if you even. grow up in a, in a little box. Yeah, and so you wouldn't you wouldn't consider someone's height as something that you could influence mm. or un or change later yeah. in life, like. It is just a part of who they are, and yeah. sexuality is is like the same. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't change it. It's just how someone is, and I think that ultimately this study kind of proves the complexity of human sexuality and sexual behaviour in general. And no singular thing causes us to be the way we are, because you know, just like any other part of our personality, it's a rich and very complex journey mm. to become who we are. And I think, you know, it just ultimately, like, is a really beautiful thing. It's a varied facet of who we are. And it is one of many things that make up who we are. Make us unique. <sighs> it's a be- Yeah, it's, it's one of many things that make us unique. Totally And who unique. we are. And, like, why would you want to change that about someone? Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, that's it. It's not, yeah, it's not dangerous. No. Being just... authentically you... And not in a kind of, you know, wishy-washy, yeah. people, <laughs> wishy-washy way. It's... People are amazing when, and like, yeah, especially when you get to meet someone who is so authentically who they want to be. Yeah, like, it's powerful as well. It is, yeah, they, it's, it's so beautiful and so wonderful. And you can see like what people can achieve when they're just, when they're allowed to mm. live. Mm. Right? And it's, yeah, it's so sad when it's not, when it's not possible or people feel oppressed. Yeah. If you're if you're squashing or quelling people at you know, from whatever age, but from a particularly from a young age, if you're denying people to be authentically themselves at any you know, in any sense of mm. you know, personality as well, it's just it's just not gonna let them be a you know, the best version of themselves. Mm, it causes it causes problems, it causes behavioural issues because yeah. like especially with kids, like they don't they don't know why it's happening. Yeah. And when you don't understand where things are happening, like it just breeds anger and hate and like frustration and this is you know, queer people having mental ill health and things that are gonna affect them throughout their lives. It's a huge it's a really serious issue and the government need to pick up the build to some extent and they need to pull up their socks and actually put the money where their mouth is and you know and support you have to be supporting people throughout their lives. That is your duty of care. Mm, really makes me mad. Makes me mad. Makes me so mad. Um, that was really interesting, though. Yeah. Um, what an yeah. What an incredible like in depth study. Obviously, I'd be so interested if there is you know something that is 
uh, more inclusive um, mm. that includes mm. uh, you know non-binary people and and trans yeah trans, trans people and intersex. trans and intersex yeah you're right I would love to know more about that I think yeah you do have to consider them as two different um, yeah. studies um, yeah because it's like yeah two different studies and I think that I understand from like a scientific point of view why they needed to control when I say control having control factors just means like if you can keep as many things as possible the same it means that what you're looking at the the changes or similarities that you're looking at are much more likely to be associated with the thing that you're looking for Mm. whereas if you have too much of a wide variety a variety of variants and factors then it means that if you're looking for a particular change or association there's many more things that it could be associated yeah, with. yeah it makes that, it harder to answer the question yeah and so i understand why they decided to do it this way yeah and like yeah i understand I, it's it's really interesting um I'll, I'll link to the to the articles and things on the website and i'll also put a list of all the the studies that i want that i referenced because there was so many of them i just couldn't go through all the this this person and 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 this person all very <laughs> yeah, so um i will put a list in the in the show notes so you can have a look thank you very much that's all right yeah we need to do better to show up for um people you know every every person in the community mm-hmm. yeah um and we need to keep keep going and yeah question where why there are gaps and know that you can't sh- yeah know that you can't change it yeah and to just ex- yeah we just need to be more accepting don't we in general we need to fight for yeah. that equality you just gotta be kind to still, each other still gotta fight anyway i'll get off my soapbox now and mm-hmm. uh tell you oh i'm so excited to learn i'll tell you let me tell you gonna be learned so actually funnily Ooh. enough Ooh. this it it's sort of it sort of segues. Um, the last, yeah, the last couple of points is gonna is gonna neatly tie me over into. Um, okay, first of all, I'm gonna start off with a quote uh, from a school report Ooh. about the person I'm going to be talking about oh my today. Gosh, tell me. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is a school report from an English teacher. I can forgive his writing, though it is the worst I have ever seen, <laughs> and I try to view tolerantly his unswerving inaxitude inex- and slipshod dirty work inconsistent through such uh, such inaxitude is a utilitarian but i cannot forgive the stupidity of his attitude towards the sane discussion of the new testament <laughs> is this can i guess yeah is it oscar wilde no it's oh. not yeah i threw you off with the, the writer yeah yeah, yeah. um so this, this so this week uh, we celebrate the birthday of uh, an extremely important gay man from yeah. british history uh, so I thought we'd have a little uh, historical remembrance yeah. party uh, and wish a belated happy birthday for the 23rd of June uh, to Mr. Alan Turing, oh, uh, who yes. I will be telling you about yes, today. Yes, of course, that does link. Yep, <gasps> right in the bang in the middle of um, Pride Month here in here in the UK. Um, happy birthday, Alan Turing. Happy birthday. Um, and I'm going to tell you all about his enormous impact uh, mm. on computer science, artificial intelligence, World War II and the landscape um, of how we recognise queer people from history in yes. modern day Britain. So yes. strap in, okay? I'm ready for a wild ride. <laughs> and you'll see why it sort of connects to, to your topic in, in a little bit. So let's start at the very beginning. Uh, Alan Turing was born in 1912 in mm. London. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can visit his, his blue plaque in Warwick Avenue. Uh, mathematician, cryptographer and logician. Uh, that's an expert in logic. Ooh. Uh, he, was, he was the genius behind, you know, the technical code-cracking efforts of uh, British intelligence, as you'll yep. know, in Bletchley yep. Park during the Second World War, um, to eventually break and uh, yeah, crack the German Enigma code, uh, which was used by the Nazis. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's what he's that's what he's known for. Top top guy. He was he was fairly open about sexuality mm-hmm. um, with his friends and his circles. Uh, King's College in Cambridge. It's sort of yeah. King's College. Yeah. Some of the circles uh, were known as somewhat of like an oasis for uh, for gay men at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Turing left Cambridge in 1934 w- uh, with a first class degree in mathematics. Oh gosh, even though did, did terribly man. at school. Uh, quite a queer. Well, English queer was narrative. clearly not his forte. Yeah. Well, apparently he was um, his parents. Uh, weren't very impressed that he was going into science at all um, because it was more traditional for, for men at the time to go into classics, apparently. Interesting. And it was more sort of revered to... Mm. Is that the right word? Yeah, to be to be into the classics. But anyway, he he, he strode away and was like, nope, science. I like not I'm going to be a nerd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good lad. And his mum said, no, okay. So branched out uh, to pr- pursue a career... A career... A we- a queer. Uh, <laughs> Absolute. Um, a career away from this kind of closeted utopia of academia. Mm-hmm. So didn't choose the easy path. Uh, yeah. In 1933, he joined the war efforts. Yeah. Um, and he was recruited along uh, with some of the brightest and best mathematicians uh, from Cambridge, even though he had he'd previously not really been into politics, more interested in just science, hold, cold, hard science. But he found that the, the rising power of, you know, and support for Hitler quite terrifying. Yeah. Uh, not very surprising because the Nazis, you know, not being big fans of the gays um, oh, yeah. and that's something that i found out afterwards is that like a lot of um gay people who were in concentration camps when the camps were liberated the gay people weren't liberated they went into other prisons instead. oh really yeah in general because it was still illegal so yeah terrifying time all around oh, thank god we caught them oh my god that's horrible <sighs> yeah. so turing's kind of uh interest in cryptography really peaked during his time at bletchley mm. um which is where he went after university uh, which is pretty lucky considering it uh, helped win the war and it's thought to have uh, the work that uh, he he did in bletchley um creating the the bomb uh, machine is that what it's called uh, <laughs> is uh is you know it's thought to have saved approximately 14 million lives oh um, gosh, and shortening wow. the war by about two years it said jesus um, so pretty, you know, pretty important, pretty important stuff. And you know, we weren't taught about Turing uh, as a as a gay icon because no, of Section Twenty Eight and all the reasons that I've, we've previously previously explained in episodes about why we don't hear about queer people in history in the context of them being LGBT mm. Q. Um, and anyway, so so Turing was was later presented uh, with a high civilian award and commended as an officer of the most excellent order. Uh, of the British Empire, OBE. Uh, O-B-E. Yeah, we love to see it. So recognised for all this, like amazing, yeah, amazing work. And yet we weren't weren't told about it. No, uh, weren't told about it at all. Couldn't have a gay man doing something good. Absolutely, couldn't tell no. us about that. Uh, in 1936, he developed uh, what was called uh, the Universal Turing Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, lad, uh, just <laughs> called it after him. Yeah, um, you definitely should. Yeah, uh, the Daisy Machine is coming out later this year. Don't you worry. Uh, so, uh, so Turing Machine, uh, a machine for all possible tasks. So quite a big, quite a big claim. Uh, w- which became the basis for the world's first computer later mm. on. So pretty cool. Um, and it was a machine built for for imitation, uh, to copy the behaviour of another when supplied with the right instructions. Um, and he was fascinated by machines that could think for themselves mm. and sort of learn um, as he could, you know, with logic and curiosity. Turing's test case for artificial intelligence is still used today. Wow. Um, so that's a real cool. testament. Yeah, he's an absolute icon in you know in science, um, science and and computing um, across the world. Uh, so he essentially he wanted to build uh, like a brain. He wanted to build a brain, and he experimented with uh, a method known as the Turing test, uh, which examined whether or not a computer could pass as human. So, yeah, and he he has this quote that says, um, "A sonnet written by a machine will be better appreciated by another machine." 
mm. which is lovely. Um, That's beautiful. Um, so yes, yeah, so it kind of bleeds into so much of like modern modern science and um, pop, so much in pop culture. What is. he did with the Turing test is so intensely embedded in sci-fi mm. pop culture as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all there. And just like in every single sci-fi like book or movie, there will be an element of his work. And yet, yeah. didn't know he was gay. No idea. No one would ever tell us. Yeah, not like footnoted. Um, but yeah, so a lot of... I'll come on to that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know this. I didn't know this before. Yeah, so there's so much about these... Yeah, about these people who we don't know about because because of their homosexuality, they're often left out um, because they don't know how to... You know, historians might not know a way a way around it. Mm. You know, if it's so inherent, like intrinsically linked to who you are, yeah. like it's just easier to cut you completely. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know this before, but um, so Turing was a keen uh, amateur runner. Oh. Um, and in 1948, his best marathon time uh, was two hours and 46 minutes, which was only 11 minutes slower than the Olympic gold medalist Holy of that shit. year. So like really cool, like fast guy. Good for an amateur. Yeah. Um. He yeah he was known for running like wherever possible, like between his meetings and engagements, and frequently he ran like the <laughs> 10 mile route between the National uh, Physical Laboratory and the Electronics Office Building in Dollis Hill. That's um, so funny. You have a meeting with him and then he just gets out the door and he's like, bye, off he goes. Um, yeah, and he would like often beat his fellow colleagues who were taking tra- public transport. Um, That's so hilarious. You can just paint this, yeah, I'm just getting such a, such a, a much better, like well-rounded. Nerd. Yeah, <laughs> such a nerd. Apparently he used to strap a kind of, you know, a, a clock, little bag around. A little clock to his oh, chest or something. That's so great. Alan. <laughs> Alan. Um, and he says, uh, I have such a stressful, he said, I have such a stressful job that the only way I can get it out of my mind is by running hard. Um, so there's like quite a correlation. So obviously, probably you know lots of uh, mental health strains, mm. and also science is difficult. Yeah. Uh, inventing the world's first computer. The war is stressful. The war is really stressful. Mm. Um, creeping up, and so he was just like running around. Yeah. Um, so I'm here for it. Look out for the pun here. Uh, stemming <laughs> from the last episode on queer people's interest in gardening, uh, I read that Turing contributed to. Uh, to exploration and mathematical um, explanation in biological science as well, um, as well as computer science. Um, Was that supposed to be like a multiple pun? Because science, technology, engineering and mathematics is STEM and also stemming from a plant. That was an incredible pun, Daisy. Yes, that is what I meant. Exactly. Wonderful. Love it. Say it again. STEM. Science, technology, uh, engineering, engineering and mathematics. mathematics. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Stemming. Oh my goodness. Gardening. <laughs> yes. Okay, here we are. We're here. Um, in 1952, he developed a, a groundbreaking new field, new field of biology um, called morphogenesis. Ooh. morphogenesis that explained mathematically yes. how things grow and you probably know this um it's <gasps> that's amazing awesome. there's apparently this like famous sketch of uh cheering as a young boy like admiring the daisies in Aww. a field while the rest of the children play hockey behind him <laughs> um which is like somewhat of a foreshadowing for one of these like you know so he wrote this notable paper um called outline of the development of the daisy it's just lovely he's a sweet boy and it's nice you, should, you know we can include those bits as well those yeah. kind of you know, those dandy there's dandy um, sidebars of, about flowers. Yeah. Um, that was sort of later in his in his career. So yeah, Turing had a, had a few years larking around per, post-war, uh, running, sciencing, uh, looking at daisies, and uh, sort of pursuing relationships. You know, just having a, a nice non-code cracking time um, for once. Relaxing. Yeah, having a bit of a relax. Um, you know, post-war decompression. Yeah, you've worked really hard. Um, you make you know you, you deserved it. Do lots of putting things in the back of you know wires. 
plugging I'm, them into each other. Yeah, making them match up. Yeah. Love it. Difficult work. And uh, so during this time he had he briefly had um, been dating a young chap called uh, Arnold Murray, mm-hmm. um, who was 19 years old, mm-hmm. uh, when in 1952 Turing's home was uh, burgled shortly after they'd met mm-hmm. um, by someone uh, who was known to, to Arnold because gay drama. Gay dramas. Um, so Turing uh, reported the burglary to the police uh, and upon questioning disclosed that he had in fact been seeing Arnold sort of not really you know there's lots of different Sounds like you didn't really think too much of it like yeah. in his life it there's wasn't lots of speculation a big deal, but yeah there's lots of speculation whether it was like something that because he didn't see it as a because he was fairly you know out and proud with uh, you know with his friends and didn't you know didn't cross his mind to kind of conceal this fact from the from the authorities or simply wanted to not hide and you know be proud be who he was and just yeah so anyway Turing was arrested and consequently charged with gross indecency. Jesus Christ. Um, which is, you know, they were just throwing that around in the, in the 1950s. Uh, notably, uh, he, he did not deny the charges um, against him. So that's quite, and that's quite key. Mm. Um, instead, he gave like this unapologetic and very detailed five-page statement God. <laughs> about the nature of their relationship. Mm. So, and upon being arrested, he is said to have uh, boldly claimed that, he is, uh, that his behaviour shouldn't, shouldn't be against the law. Maverick. A good man. Um, yeah, save the again for the people at the back. He was a maverick. Mm. Um, unfortunately, obviously, didn't agree. The authorities and uh, the government didn't agree, and they said, "No, it is against the law, and um, you will be you will be punished." Um, so we often often we uncover uh, the details of people's queerness sort of through criminal records. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that Turing was was brave enough to be unashamedly himself, like at a time when homosexuality was deeply stig- stigmatized and illegal, just speaks volumes um, yeah. and is hugely inspirational in in itself regardless of all the um you know amazing incredible scientific achievements the fact that he was a proud you know a brave and proud member of the lgbt community from without question mm. you know without wavering i just find that incredibly inspirational yeah and but this fight for his personal freedom ultimately it cost him uh, his livelihood so the next two years were um, incredibly tough. It was homosexuality was obviously still uh, a criminal act at this point. Um, it wouldn't be legalized um, just for the, the timeline. It wouldn't be legalized until 1967. So like quite a way to go at this point. Punishment at this time um, it was chemical castration. So nasty, nasty business. Mm. So that's where they give you hormones to essentially make you infertile or impotent. It's supposed to be to sort of reduce your sex drive, right? But yes, it often results. Um, um, in in men becoming impotent, yeah. Mm. They so, do it to um, some convicted paedophiles now. Yes, they do. There's um, well, this is, this kind of links into what you was, you know what you were saying about you know conversion therapy and and you know sending sending people away um, in order mm. to have these really aggressive, torturous treatments. Mm. You know, this is on on par with that. I think chemical castration. So even though both um, both men were found guilty, Murray Arnold Murray was granted with a uh, conditional discharge, while Turing was placed on probation on the condition that he underwent hormone treatment. So he was given a, a series of injections that would cause uh, it would eventually cause impotence. But the estrogen hormone imbalance also resulted in gynecomastia. So, um, um, breast growth? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, which meant that Turing, yeah, developed enlarged breast tissue. Uh, yeah, grew, grew breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we now know that, yeah, changing someone's sexual orientation is, it's scientifically impossible, right? It can't be prayed away. It can't be uh, surgically removed or electroshocked out of someone. But this this is the abuse that Alan Turing was subject to under yeah. UK law. And it's, it's disgusting. Mm. 
uh, and people and you know despite the kind of retrospective pardoning of, of hundreds of gay men since the decriminalization we still have you know a really long way to go when it comes to queer rights you know until trans people queer people of color neurodivergent disabled homeless migrants sex workers and all, all these minorities are, like within our com- queer community are like accepted on an equal level to how white cis gay men are accepted then we need to work a lot harder mm. um so oh yeah i'll get off the soapbox now i promise um so turing wrote to his friend uh, joan clark during this time um admitted uh, admitting to being found out but he assured her that he would not be sent to prison even and even claimed uh, they're not as savage as they used to be because uh, because the punishment didn't involve jail you know how kind of mm. them to let him out of jail and despite his his sentencing and uh, subsequent abuse uh, Turing was described as, you know, remaining in quite high spirits. Mm. Uh, he continued to work. However, being so publicly outed uh, meant that his reputation, it was compromised. He, he questioned the trust of his colleagues and ultimately the sentence, it cost him his security clearance, which like denied him access to all that classified information um, and all the government intelligence that his whole work, his whole work was based upon. Uh, where he used to travel um, to Norway and the Mediterranean, you know, mm. places that were considered more open and liberal at the time. He was he was now banned. He was banned from entering the US. He was banned from leaving the country because being a known homosexual was seen as a security risk. You weren't allowed to be in um, the Secret Service, MI5, MI6, yep. and be gay. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, all these restrictions that were placed upon him just led to a huge, a massive decline in his work. I mean, he was essentially forbidden from government cryptography, duties and all the research yeah. topics um including the development of the computer you know that he made he was yeah. he started that you know that research can't can't have him now come in and continue doing exactly the same work as before because what if he makes the computer gay like yeah. oh no and you just think like where would we be yeah. had he been allowed to continue at the time yeah they benefited from all the work he did up until that point and then now what suddenly if oh i can't touch him mm. but like yeah unbelievable you just think like such a brilliant you know such a brilliant mind quelled and betrayed for what yeah for what ultimately so betrayed because he he you mentioned electroshock therapy he was undergoing that on a regular basis was he um i don't think he went he underwent electroshock i think it was just the chemical castration. i think it was the chemical castration i would need to i would need to look mm. look up i don't think but so many others you know so many people um will have undergone a combination or you know any of those horrible sort of torture in in isolation at the time as a punishment for something that is incurable mm. and it doesn't need to be cured and it's impossible to to treat something that yeah anyway mm. and this is all sort of believed to obviously have contributed and to, and to led to his his tragic um suicide at the age of fo- just 41 um Turing had been experimenting with chemicals at home um at his home in uh, Wilmslow and his uh, his body was found alongside a, an apple laced with cyanide god and that is a very painful death yeah so cyanide. obviously the apple was chosen the apple to kind of mask the, the you know the taste of of this toxic chemical it makes me very angry and it makes so many people angry um and it is important to yeah to call it out and you know because alan turing took his own life and died a convicted criminal mm. in 1954 uh, which meant that many of his it meant that many of his professional achievements and uh, you know especially those during the war were classified mm. um just instantly and his his death it went largely unreported yeah um his obituaries his obituary left out of the newspapers it's just yeah it's just like... mad there's so many like trails and and threads and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of documentation written by obviously historians like mm. you know rich now and retrospectively and you know accounts from his mother accounts from 
um, his brother, yeah. which are very, yeah, very interesting and obviously offer quite a lot of, um, you know, mm. speculation about, particularly about um, the death. And I think the death is, you know, it's very, it is, it's really relevant um, to reflect on and to and to acknowledge um, the ways in which he was failed by by so many people, by everybody, yeah. you know, to some extent, you know, family, the government, like, yeah. Yeah, thanks for thanks for helping with the uh, thanks for helping with the Nazis. Um, now now go, you know. So now he is rightly recognised as one of the great minds of the twentieth century. Um, and there's a lot of um, retrospective kind of positivity and, and knowledge um, shared about his work and his life. And uh, in 2019, the New York Times published a compelling obituary, part of their uh, Overlooked series, mm. which was is to commend remarkable remarkable people um, whose deaths were previously unreported in the Times. In 2009, Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister at the time, uh, made a public apology, which you might remember, um, stated, uh, you deserved so much better, which I think completely mm. <laughs> yeah. hits the nail on the head. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't definitely. until 2013 when uh, Queen Elizabeth II granted him an official pardon, 59 years after his death. Three years later, in 2016, uh, the government announced that all deceased gay and bisexual men criminalised by the uh, the Sexual Offences Act uh, would be automatically uh, post-human... Like after the death? Yeah, yeah. post... Posthumously. 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 Uh, people have their diaries published, published posthumously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pops, yeah there we go. Words, language. Um, so good at it. <laughs> you'll be automatically... Um, yeah, posthumanly pardoned, and there was actually quite a lot of kickback from uh, from the LGBT community on this. Um, George Montagu, uh, a gay man who was uh, also convicted of gross indecency um, in 1974, told uh, the BBC that uh, he wants an apology, not a pardon. Mm. Um, he states, "To accept a pardon means you accept that you were guilty." Uh, I was not guilty right. of anything. I was only guilty of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he asks, you know, what was Alan Turing guilty of? being born only able to fall in love with another man. Yeah. And I think it is this kind of accepting of, yeah, accepting a pardon and accepting, can it, it does take blame. Yeah, it's like saying, take blame. can you just forget we did that? It's like, Sorry we, uh, we arrested you. And no, it's, you mind. want someone to acknowledge, to say, no, we were wrong. Yeah. What we, we did was yeah, wrong. Exactly. Not we're, yeah. And to say you're sorry. Yeah. Um, Not just to pretend it didn't happen. Say yeah. Say you're sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's changed important. now. Yeah, it is. Um, so last year, the Bank of England announced uh, that by the end of 2021, uh, Alan Turing is going to be uh, the new face of the £50 note in Britain. Hey, nice. Uh, a symbolic public acknowledgement of the really great work that he achieved um, in his lifetime um, and his previous mistreatment by the British government. Uh, by naming Turing as a national treasure, uh, it's, you know, it's supposed to symbolise that LGBTQ plus people are now recognised at every level of society. You know, and hopefully a sign that a lesson has been learned. Mm. You know, what do you, I don't know what you think about that, but you know how genuine, how how authentic it is. I mean, also like how many LGBT people have even touched a fifty pound note, even seen a fifty pound note? It's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit. I don't know. It feels like you're saying you're like sure, like we, you know, it's on the biggest money that you'll never see. Yeah, we accept you, but you know, you're welcome here, but you know, sit down at the back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's okay. So the blah blah blah, maybe a symbol that a lesson has been learned. I don't, I don't really feel like a lesson has been learned on a deep level. Like we're still treating so many people in our society like shit. People with on disability and things like mm -hmm. that, or, or like Romani Gypsy and traveller communities, like treated like pariahs. And then yeah, I just think I just. It seems like, yes, it's, it is a gesture and it is a, a good gesture and it's lovely, but mm. I don't 
I do think there's so much left to do. Yeah. Maybe a small lesson has been learned, but it's we a, still need to be better to each other. It seems like a very safe, yeah, safe win. And you know, it, obviously there was a big, there was a you know a long list of people who who could have been. Yeah, know, it's like okay, featured well, on the on the fifty. Yes, note. you can put a, a, a queer person on the fifty pound note, but you could also pay reparations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You could also give something back to the li- people whose lives you ruined by arresting them for homosexuality. It's on their then criminal record. They couldn't ever work again. Yeah. For a, a person who just wanted to teach, mm. being gay, getting arrested, never able to teach again. Like, yeah. pay those people reparations. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just putting someone on a money on, on a, a note that's not the same yeah. as making amends. It's really not, you know. I, you know, we know there is a, a, a complete lack of LGBTQ plus like representation in sp- specifically in the tech industry, right? Mm. Um, and I just, I wonder, like, again, how much further along we would be if we'd, you know, if people like Alan Turing had been around to shape this language for queer people in tech. And you just can't put a price. You can't put. Yeah, you can't know how how that would have gone. You can't yeah. know what someone is going to have achieved because you you stopped them in their tracks. And that is a huge, you know, a huge burden that needs needs to kind of be accounted for. You know, I'm not like saying an eye for an eye, but yeah. you know, there there is irreparable damage that you've done to not just one person, but a whole community of people. Yeah. yeah. Like I mentioned, like in the in the, the rural queer episode, like we, you know, as LGBTQ plus people, we need to we need to see ourselves reflected uh, in in the very places that we, we were um, and are and will be continue mm. to be like throughout history, like. And want to be. Yeah, want to be. We need to see ourselves in in books and, and films and museums and and in government and, and high-flying positions in media agencies and global tech organisations. We need to see ourselves there because that's where we are and that's mm. where we deserve to be. Yeah, such an important story. And I think it's important to acknowledge it um, in, yeah, in Pride Month. And, to, you know, there's a lot of celebration and you know you have to remember you have to remember the fight and you have to remember that a lot has been you know a lot has been washed you know covered up and a lot has been lost and lost and because it's it's not the case that like queerness is brand new it's because all of our history was just absolutely snuffed out literally people were killed or killed themselves yeah their stories didn't continue yeah that's why it feels so new now because of globalization and like connecting across the internet as well like it just it's important to have a history to have a place you know that's why people are interested in their roots that's why people want to know where you know with 20 23 and me they want to know where their family comes from like their lineage they we want to know our place our home yeah and we have to we're like you and i have to go back and learn this for ourselves because because of section 28 which banned teachers from in any way discussing homosexuality, we didn't get to learn about anybody queer at school. Mm-hmm. And so that made it feel like we didn't have a place to be. Yeah. You know, we weren't welcome. It, it forces people to be outcasts from the beginning. Have you heavy, seen... Heavy stuff. No, oh, no, sorry. I was going to say, have you seen The Imitation Game? Yeah. 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 So obviously, um, to call for the... Um, yeah, f- to call for the pardoning, um, obviously Benedict Cumberbatch, who played... Mm. Alan Turing in the Imitation Game um, was very much, very much in in support of mm. in support of that motion, and you know, because I I haven't seen it. Okay, okay. So I'm going to have to admit that I haven't seen it. But the one thing that I remember reading was that Benedict Cumberbatch played him in a way that the actors play autistic people. Okay, mm. but that Alan Turing was 
incredibly charming yeah and sociable and so well loved and liked and just like funny and great at parties but in that film he's like really rigid and like Mm. closed off and like they didn't really talk about his sexuality even though like he was a flamboyant gay man like through and through he knew himself yeah well it seemed very much that um that you know in in all the kind of biographies um and and you know brief article you know articles i i read um in prep for this episode Mm. It was very much like described as he was very open and charming to the people he liked uh-huh. and completely, you know, the school report says it all, you know, he was actually very much <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't wearing suits and ties, you know, always kind of depicted without a tie, mm. messy hair, um, you know, proper kind of, right. ge- you know, that kind so of scruffy cared, genius. It yeah. was, he was, he turned on the charm, yeah. but then when it was English class, he was like, fuck this, I can't be bothered. I feel, I feel yeah. like Ben, ben Cumberbatch does that with uh, with a lot of roles. Um, I don't know if you saw him play Frankenstein. I was deeply uncomfortable with his performance of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, and I was watching the opening of it, and I immediately went to the internet and started searching what I thought was happening and what I thought I was seeing on TV and found like multiple research articles linking the portrayal of monsters to disability and I was like mm. that's definitely what I thought was happening yeah. and it's monsters are played like yeah a disability and it was just a very uncomfortable thing mm. for me and I couldn't watch it yeah um but yeah yeah I mean the, the imitation game um uh is you know there's a lot that is not quite historically accurate mm. apparently um and you know the timelines that I kind of read about Alan Turing's life there's just a lot of night there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of joy as well um yeah that is just you know obviously the it's so marred or like pursuing relationships sounds like quite the, a nice time for the him biological yeah they kind of you know daisies daisies your the, daisies yeah exactly i mean reading that was a lovely little you know a lovely piece of research you can you can find it on um online mm-hmm. um yeah the outline of um development of the daisy um yeah. you can find it on um turingarchive.org you know his little That's typewriter so and he got little notes on it and it's just a really really sweet you know, some really sweet bits of research and also really groundbreaking, not, yeah. you know, not twee and, you know, I don't mean to diminish that. It's like really incredible stuff. Yeah, well, it's like some, there's quite a lot of genetics that is, that has its basis in, in mathematics. Yeah. Uh, like especially and it was one of the genetics. first times that, you know, people had, it had been explained mathematically mm. Mm. and that's, you know, not something to be sniffed at. Mm. <laughs> Sniff yeah. flowers. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it's You are just, very funny. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'll end it there, but um, yeah, I could talk about this for a really long time, but I think it's, um, it is, impo- you know, it is important to acknowledge, um, you know, the tragedy with the, um, you know, with the, the greatness and the joy and the, in- the insight and, yeah, as much as I always want to, you know, hold up, um, you know, joy and I want to put joy to the fo- forefront, I think it is really important in particularly in in Pride Month and, you know, LGBT History Month and, and those kind of moments of reflection to to think about the, the things that could have been and to, to learn and to think about the ways we can do better. And, mm. and you know, it's a huge group effort. Yeah, and, um, definitely. If you are a member of government, please do better because we need you to. <laughs> We need you to. Yes, please ban conversion therapy. All right. I think that's uh, all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening. You can get us on social media, Radio Zaddy, uh, X-A-D-D-Y is how you spell Zaddy, on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, We love engaging with you guys, so please reach out and you can get us on any platform that you get good podcasts. Uh, I've been Hannah Bestwick and with me, as ever, has been... Daisy Thurston-Gent. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.